Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their folkloric origins to their current pop culture incarnations. host Leonard and today I am joined by my co-host Adam. Hello good to be here. Good to have you. Uh, We are resuming our coverage of Elden Ring Uh, and don't worry well Cameron's getting ready for his wedding and Dave is fine (laughs) hopefully. (laughs) Yes, not going to adopt anybody's medical situation, but let's just say that if you're listening, just wish a day for recovery, a quick speedy recovery, because he's going to need it. But we're going to transition into um, <laughs> something that's uh, irrecoverable, which is our Elden Ring <laughs> talk, because the lands between are completely... And we're going to get to where we're going to cover the most lovely messed up area of of the game, I think. And that is Lindell, the royal capital. Adam, what do you think about Lindell? Just as an overview, just before we get into the discussion proper. I mean, Elden Ring is a huge, huge game. I feel like... The royal capital of Lindell is maybe the biggest legacy dungeon. I I feel like it's just enormous and incredibly dense. Gorgeous to look at. I think that comparing it to Anorlando is very deserved. Uh, I think there's a lot of similarity between those two, except this feels like it's the size of three Anorlandos, all kind of layered on top of each other. Yeah, I think this is a tremendous level, very difficult, really challenging at the point of the game that you arrive at it. But there is a lot to love here. Yeah, I would actually have to agree. Uh, So I've heard, and I tend to agree, from people online that Lindell is, what if we took Anorlando and gave it the kind of density that Central Yarnum had? while keeping it aesthetically the same as Anarlando. And I think that that's a fairly apt comparison. How about you? Yeah, no, I think that's definitely warranted. Like, just the density of the city streets and all the houses and all the little alleyways, the nooks and crannies. You're constantly ducking in and out of buildings. Yeah, a lot of Central Yarnum DNA, now that you mention it. But, of course, before we can get into uh, Lindell, we have to deal with a kind of a preliminary boss fight, which is actually kind of a weird feint because uh, you can't actually enter Lindell until you have the great runes of two shard bearers. So, if you get there really in early and you've only defeated, uh, what is it, uh, Godric the Grafted, 
and haven't managed to get any other shard bearers, uh, you will fight the Draconic Tree Sentinel and then be denied access into Lindell proper. But we're going to just talk about the Draconic Tree Sentinel and assume that you do, in fact, have those two Lord Shards. I have never gotten to this point in the game without having two great runes. It would be so incredibly discouraging to beat the Draconic Tree Sentinel and then not be allowed to progress. The first note that I have about the Draconic Tree Sentinel is, fuck this guy. <laughs> he is he is a wall to a lot of players uh, and, and was very difficult for me. I was fairly overleveled. I don't know if you've you know, as 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 the new uh, cast member, I don't know if you've listened to our past episodes, but my first run at Elden Ring was a very bizarre, very me-focused run of rubbing up against the edges of the map as far as I was allowed to go uh, without participating in the narrative or in most of the gameplay, main gameplay mechanics, as much as humanly possible. Uh, so I did end up getting here after getting two shards, but only after I realized that I needed to uh, have two of them in order to progress. So I did get here before and in uh, and engaged the Draconic Tree Sentinel and lost and said, oh, wait a minute. The finger reader keeps telling me that I need to. I'm just going to go back and deal with uh, Renala <laughs> and, and make sure that I can progress once I, once I take care of this guy. Um, so for me, I was using just a 100% uh, damage shield and the bloody Helis, great uh, rapier. Um, and because it's uh, technically a spear as well, I I spent a lot of the game uh, holding up block and then stabbing things until they bled to death uh, with sure. with uh, with my weapons. So this boss fight was difficult without being as difficult as I think you found. I mean, yeah, that's very impressive to me that because every time so to to paint a word picture, this is the the very first golden guy that you see once you uh get your Bethesda open world moment, the tree sentinel from the the very opening moments of the game. This is a variation on that guy where instead of having the um the halberd, he has this enormous dragon claw. Uh, the weapon is called the Dragon's Great Claw. And it's like Havel's Hammer. Yes. Basically, uh, uh, slightly more cooked and like it's got a little pointy bit on it. But it's, you know, that's the kind of thing to imagine. And it hits so hard and just absolutely ruins my stamina if I try to block through it. So your your ability to block through it and then still have enough stamina to counter. Like, I don't think I would have been able to to do that. So kudos to you for that being a successful strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I devoted a lot of resources into, uh, and I think by this time, I, I also had Radon's shard. 
uh, which is uh, max health, max FP, and uh, max stamina. So I was uh, actively, one of my strategies, in fact, was to actively um, let enemies break my guard uh, with the final hit of like a combo attack because I knew there was enough cooldown between that chill break and and their next string of attacks that I would be able to get stamina enough to roll away. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like a, a pretty good strategy. Um, this guy was a real piece of work for me because for, for a number of reasons. His great claw hits really, really hard. He's really mobile because of the horse. He does lightning damage, like that red lightning that we see later on because he's got the the dragon association. And his horse breathes fire. So you need to be specced for like three different types of damage that this guy can do. Yeah. And uh, just really, really aggressive yeah, uh, uh, were you uh, were you doing this fight on your own? The first time that I fought him, I believe that was when uh, I had a friend who was we were we were kind of tagging back and forth, summoning each other, just as you know, uh, turning it into co op basically. Mm-hmm. And we spent a, a good ninety minutes like summoning each other, trying to to get this to work, and eventually, like a combination of. Confusing him with aggro, trying to proc poison on him, and then just, you know, whatever we could do to to chip away at him finally brought him down. Okay, because I don't do co-op in FromSoft games. I, in fact, almost exclusively play all of them offline uh, Mm -hmm. first run. Uh, But I was taking advantage of the Spirit Ashes, and I believe, uh, what is it, it's a Battle Mage... There is Battle Mage uh, Spirit Ash that I was using because um, Magic Caster Spirit Ashes are really good at drawing an uh, enemy aggro. And I think it's just Mm -hmm. based totally on the fact that they can do a fair amount of damage uh, from range and that will always pull enemy aggro because I was using uh, Moonveil between like the Bloody Healers and, and. and such, uh, I was also using Moonvale as like my secondary before it ultimately became my primary. But yeah, I was using my. I think he was fully upgraded at this point. I had done a lot of stuff. I had once again, I had rubbed against all the world edges I could before getting here. So um, mm-hmm. I think he was close to, if not maxed out spirit ash level and i was just yeah it was just kind of a game of like uh pulling aggro between the two of two of us gotcha but he's definitely tricky and i've heard from a few people about uh him being a wall so it's definitely similar to the way that uh from has gated you know done soft gates for things mm-hmm. where i'm thinking of you know like the titanite demon at the gate yeah. of darkwood uh, you know, it's just very clearly giving you a sign of like, hey, are you ready? Because this is going gonna, gonna to get serious here. Right. Um, and of course, I think the, the most interesting aspect of that is that it's a big lie because you get here and you get the soft gate and you're like, oh, we're at the Capitol. We're 
I mean, the game's been big and long so far. I guess we're close to the end now. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. a lie. It's a big, it's a big untruth. It's a big Miyazaki (laughs) fraud, uh, as I like to call it. Um, uh, Let's be real. Chicanery was about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, It feels climactic when you arrive. It definitely feels like you're rushing towards a climax of some sort, except for that nagging bit of the map that still isn't filled in. Yeah. Oh, I wonder, wonder what's up with that. Uh, it's just extra content. It's uh, for all the people that want more stuff uh, after, you know, to go, to go further, to, to, to stretch, to find the lore. It, to, it's all lore. That's all lore region. I mean, I'm not technically not lying. It is, in fact, all lore region, but that's not what its actual purpose serves. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it, it's it certainly feels momentous when you get here. Again, like that Anne Orlando moment of reaching a turning point, you know, compared to how decrepit and ruined Stormvale Castle is or how, you know, weird and mysterious Raya Lucaria is. This feels properly like the seat of power. Uh, yeah. Of the lands between. I mean, uh, the tree, it's there. It's in your face. It's inescapable. The inescapable, the as as up to now, inescapable tree that has been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away is now fully inescapable. It, it dominates everything. It is the, the center and the seat of, of, of power, and, and we have arrived. Yeah. So once you beat the Draconic Tree Sentinel and you finally get in, you know, you take an elevator up and you get your first vista. Uh, you get one of two vistas that uh, reveal themselves. And the first, it shows just how close you've gotten to the tree because the tree is literally filling your entire field of view mm-hmm. when you get there. And it's also showing the giant split that runs up the trunk uh, with an enormous door that leads inside the tree itself, uh, which is, of course, your destination for this area. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I actually love it specifically for the split because, once again, you've seen the tree from literally every single vantage point uh, outside external vantage point that you've had in the game and uh you get here and you're like oh look at that there's a big old weird split in that uh otherwise resplendent golden tree that i haven't been able to see uh as of yet unless you open a chest in the weeping peninsula at the top of a tower but we're not going to talk about that because that's a big old trick (laughs) <laughs> and a lie to make you feel bad that you can't proceed any further. But yeah, this is most likely the first time that anyone's seen the split in that tree. Yeah, and if you've managed to get this far thinking that, like, the aired tree was a symbol of health and power, like, you know, this, this for me at least, was definitely a wake-up call of, like, oh, this tree can be hurt. Like, this is a wound in the aired tree. Mm-hmm. I was so, you know, because once again, uh, rubbing against edges, grabbing up as much stuff as I can, looking at every, reading every single item description. I'm just mm-hmm. like, mm, oh, this is, oh, uh, yeah, this makes sense. 
just uh, it's an, uh, only a thing that people in the capital see. It's just another layer of your lies, the Golden Order. I I see what's going on here. It's not some perfect thing. There's actually an entryway into it, but. And to be fair, they do a really good job of masking it because they also put, like, this very elaborate, very lovely, very striking temple in front of it. And it's like, yeah, no, see, this is deliberate. Oh, we always intended it to look like this, this big split, as intended, working properly. And I'm like, yeah... I've played every single FromSoft game for the last over a decade. I know when when a, when a game and a narrative is lying to me and everything about this feels like a big old lie. I did have a brief moment where I was like, is this like Anorlando? Like, is the Aird Tree actually dead and it's only an illusion that it's still alive? Like, mm. that would be wild. Not true, of course, but uh, like that was definitely the level that I was, like the mindset that I was entering, right into it. Because that, I mean, of course you, of course you are. Uh, despite it being a new IP, uh, Elden Ring is for people who have played enough FromSoft games is essentially a greatest hits of FromSoft game mechanically and narratively and aesthetically. So, yeah, it's not unfair to think to yourself, is is, is everything a big old lie? Is, is this just a big ruse? Because I, I feel like it might be, but I also feel like this could be legit. And yeah, it turns out to be legit, but it's also still a big lie because Miyazaki trickery. It's basically a big old lie, just not in that specific way. Right. Yeah. But yeah, the the path takes you down a little bit further, and then you get, like, the second Vista reveal, which shows, like, more of the city proper, and it's sprawled out, and it is beautiful. It is this white city with these gleaming golden roofs. Like, it looks really amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then dominating the landscape is this petrified dead dragon that's sprawled out. I mean, it's the size of a skyscraper, and it's literally draped over multiple levels of the city. Um, It's really striking and dramatic. Uh, And also, there is this impossibly huge twisted spear that's, like, lying not far from it. Um, And I have no idea who or what could possibly have wielded that spear and, like, what the story is behind it. But, like, it's an incredibly striking image. Yeah, it's great. It's, uh, it's one of, once again, it's one of those things where it, it's, it's just a, it's just a nice little bit of flavor where you see this city and, you know, there's a part of me that thinks that this is, um, FromSoft kind of apologizing for how little of the ringed city in Dark Souls 3 uh, were (laughs) allowed to actually explore. So they kind of devoted themselves to, okay, hey, hey, uh, everyone hates that, that we didn't let them do that and that it was all dressing. Uh, So let's make Anne Orlando, um, but bigger uh, and prettier and also 
make it kind of look like the ring city. So here's a big dead dragon and a giant spear and uh, we'll let people do whatever story crafting they want in their own heads. Yeah, both Lindell and its sister city that uh, is spoilery. Um, both of them are do evoke the ring city, uh, but I like both of them a lot more than the ring city. Yeah, yes, a lot of people like. I don't. I mean, I was I was looking for narrative, not gameplay. So I mm-hmm. I I was not disappointed by the lack of exploration of the Ring City. But yes, I have. I am. I am very much aware of the fact that a lot of people, because I think it was really the first time in in FromSoft history that they presented a vista that you could not actually ultimately interact with and i can understand disappointment with that Mm -hmm. yeah uh should we get into lindell proper yep so as you are making your way in you're kind of running along this outer ring like this this i guess wall like the surrounding wall that surrounds the capital Mm -hmm. and you're on these little ramparts and you start hearing like this little music and it turns out that it's not ambient music. It's diegetic because there are these little goobers with their like golden kazoos and they're just playing little tunes as you come in. Uh, these, these creatures are called the Oracle envoys. I have no idea what they are. They seem possibly related to the Albinorics to me. Uh, they have kind of a similar energy. But I do believe, let's see if I can pull that up, because I do, I think they're, yes, a monstrous band of musicians who employ sacred arts. It is said that when Oracle envoys appear playing their pipes, they do so to herald the arrival of a new god or age. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, in that case, I continue to have no idea what's up with these weird little goobers. They are round little roly-poly guys. Imagine, like, uh, what is it, like, the weebles wobble but don't fall down? Yes. Like, that silhouette. They're like little bowling pins uh, wrapped in these, like, white cloths. Uh, they have incredibly uncannily pale skin uh and when they move they just literally roll yep uh it's very funny they're incredibly goofy goofy designs and then they have their big golden kazoos that they're playing and when they spot you they play a tune into it and then a bubble explodes you yeah so my first thought when I saw them was, oh, that's interesting. And you you encounter the first one that just continues playing. And I'm like, oh, I guess mm-hmm. these things are non-aggressive. But then that immediately goes out the window. But looking at them, I'm like hyper-focused on like all the imagery and everything because that's what I do whenever I run through a FromSoft game at the beginning. I'm like trying to piece things together. I'm like, you know what these look like? These look like dandelion seed pods without the little feather top. They look like little seed people. And I'm like, 
did these come from the tree? Are these like direct things created by the earth tree? What's going on with this? Um, and then they started blowing bubbles at me and I was like, oh, that's, that's silly. Uh, but now I, I, I have to kill you. So I, I, I'm not going to think about what your purpose is all that much anymore. Um, but yeah, they're great. They're charming. They're different sizes of them. They're three oh. different sizes of them. I love the giant ones so much. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah, they're just, once again, it's just, it's very inauspicious as the first thing, mm, aggressive thing that you see once you enter Lindell. After, I like, compared to fighting the Draconic Tree Sentinel, this is the first enemy type that you run into, and it's just this these goofy little things playing pipes, and I'm like, what? What is going on here? What's... I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think that that really speaks to, like, one of my values with Elden Ring is um, its sense of rhythm, <laughs> where... Like, the proximity between those two things I don't think is a coincidence where it just has this very high-octane preamble fight, and then it allows you to be eased in with this kind of, you know, relaxed pace uh, with these lesser threats. Right. And allows you to focus on how strange the enemy designs is and the vistas around you. And, like, uh, it kind of eases you into the level in a way that I really appreciate. Yeah, I have to agree. And it's also kind of important to say, like, if you've been, like, going, if you've been exploring everywhere, these are, like, the first and most arresting new enemy designs that you've seen in hours. Yeah, uh, up until this point, there's nothing like them. And I mean, there's lots of, like, weird dorky guys in this game, which I Mm -hmm. love. But, like... It is still really striking to stumble on these guys uh, for the first time. Really delighted by this uh, this kind of reveal in this whole first stretch. Yeah, agreed. And then we exit from the ramparts into various dwellings uh, uh, mm-hmm. along the wall. Uh, and uh, most of them are filled with plants and cisterns, uh, which you, if you're paying attention from... From the outer wall, uh, battle-scarred region uh, outside of Lindell are the same uh, weird cisterns that you've seen on stakes. And if you've watched that uh, very elaborate uh, Lord of the Rings-esque animated sequence that they put out before the game release, uh, you knew they were firing uh, out of Lindell. And uh, this is these are like perfumers' workshops. Yeah, the perfumers have a big presence in Lindell. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of notably, uh, I don't know if this has been mentioned in previous episodes, but there's kind of two flavors of perfumers. There's like the uncorrupted and the corrupted versions. Yes. And these ones are uh, the uncorrupted ones. They are cleanly dressed. They look like they are part of like the, the royal, I don't know, uh, ensemble here uh, mm-hmm. and they clearly have a place and a reputation within the city itself yes and and, and they're every their workshops are everywhere you, we're constantly 
going into buildings where filled with like plant lives, notebooks, uh, like I said, cisterns and, and, and full of perfumers themselves. Um, uh, some of them, uh, notably checking in on, uh, the numerous royals. Are that, are they royals? I forget which ones are royals or just citizens. Are the citizens the really tall ones, uh, with the long necks, like, uh, uh, was it Gotrick? Um, from. Uh, Gostock? Gostock. There we go. Gostock from Stormvale. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, uh, exactly what each enemy is called. Uh, there's a... Yeah, so those guys, the guys who look like Gostock, are simply referred to as commoners. Okay. But yeah, they're they're attending to commoners. They're kind of just hanging around doing stuff until you catch their attention, and, and they do. They're perfumer nonsense, which I never uh, stopped being annoyed that, by because their perfume stuff hits like a truck and never stops hitting like a truck no matter what level of them you interact with but i was i was wearing uh light armor throughout my entire first playthrough so that's probably the problem yeah they have a strange rhythm which is difficult to to get used to uh there also are um just scattered throughout this whole area uh, a large number of the pages yes um that's p a g e the the little like assistant guys, uh, they've got like a rapier and a crossbow, which is equipped with perfumer bolts. Yeah, those those little guys are so tough. Like yep. <laughs> they punch way above their weight class. Uh, they're fast, and I would always try to guard counter them, but they mm. would always jab me before I could pull it off. I was always absolutely in their face because when they do their three bolt barrage, that was just it. No matter what, um, those perfume bolts are devastating or at least were devastating to me and, um, always annoying to be perfectly honest. Yeah. They're no joke. Even just one of them is like a real threat. Yeah. And there are some rooms that have like two or three of them. Uh, yeah, and and there's one room that has one just playing a flute. That's playing a uh, if you've played Sekiro, playing a uh, familiar melody because they are li- it, it, that the one playing the flute is literally just playing the song that the Miss Nobles play in Sekiro. And I I went back to double check it because I was like, that sounds like that song from Sekiro. And yes, yes, it is. It's just transplanted here into Elden Ring and I'm like, alright, I don't know what you're trying to tell me from Soft other than I, I've, I've started forming a very crazy theory uh, that I, I'm not going to even, uh, you know, try to say is is anything real, but just for my own weird headcanon, I'm like, is it possible that, like, everything outside the lands between is just all the other FromSoft games? Just other worlds that <laughs> are the tarnished are the tarnished really just from other FromSoft games and then being pulled back into their home home universe to solve the problem there because uh, it's yeah the use of that song again is just too weird and clearly wasn't an oversight it it, it 
it feels like it means something, but I, I'm not going to even attempt to say that that is what's going on. Like I said, just fun little headcanon stuff for myself. Imagine being like a refugee and you're like, finally, I've escaped from Boletaria. I, I get to live somewhere that doesn't have the Valley of Defilement. And then you end up in the lands between and you're like, God damn it. Uh, I mean, I mean, think, think about, uh, well, I, uh, yeah, think about uh, you, you're not even that, but you're d- just descended from somebody that got kicked out of the lands between, you don't know that it exists, some ethere- <laughs> weird ethereal plane, and then some, and then one day your eyes start go- glowing uh, gold, and it's like, yeah, you gotta come back and solve the problem, we want you uh, dirty tarnish to come back now. It's like what? What's going on? And you get pulled into a you you are forced to walk through another fog wall into another <laughs> land that is irreparably damaged. Yeah, it's a nightmare. It's uh, that's that's the theme of all of these FromSoft games <laughs> is that existence is a nightmare, and everyone would be happier if existence stopped. Yeah. Uh, by the way, you should avoid Kalid. Avoid what? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, that would be terrible. My uh, my theory is always... Every, you know, it's often that we want to assign meaning to every little thing. And I'm in no way calling you out. Uh, oh, yeah. I just feel like the, the Occam's Razor answer is that someone was like, it'd be fun if they were playing something. And then they had, you know mistnobleflute.mp3 and they just dragged it and dropped it in there and like, yeah, we'll put replace it with something something else at some time and then they just didn't. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, and no need to feel like you were calling me out. Like I said, I don't believe this. I just think it's fun to think of it that way, like as as you know, as the greater uh, from soft multiverse. I'm like, I'm always looking mm-hmm. to assign weird meaning. I've even said to myself, "Oh man, you know what? Be real fun, uh, real fun update to the uh, Ashes of Ariandel DLC and Dark Souls Three. What if you just what if they just did a little minor update, and when you went back, the painter's painting was done, and it was just the lands between. What if? What if that? <laughs> what if that happened? I mean, I'm still riding high on Father Gascoigne from the Bloodborne beta saying Umbasa. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, the ramparts and the outer city, they give you a, a taste of what you're dealing with. And it's uh, it's um, pages. And then we're getting uh, Lindell soldiers proper. And man, they, they hit really hard and they like their lightning. So there's kind of two tiers of the soldiers. There's like the the foot soldiers, which are kind of just the recolored kind of stock soldiers that we see everywhere. You know, yeah. they, they have the appropriate colored tabard to signal their allegiance and they do some lightning stuff. Uh, but that's about it. They're not too bad. But then there's the like the royal knights. Yeah. And those guys are brutal. They come in many delicious flavors, including two-handed greatsword, who will not break his poise or stagger for anything, uh, and great bow, which is absolutely devastating. And I found those guys really consistently hard. Like, even one-on-one, like, it never felt like it was a sure bet to to fight those guys. 
And they roam in packs. Yep. I was uh, playing as Bandit my first time through, so I was uh, utilizing bows frequently to draw aggro, and man, if there's any area of the game where you just want to draw aggro and deal one-on-one with with somebody, uh, this is it. And I, I, not to pat myself on the back, but it did work out spectacularly, and uh, using my... uh, Bow and Helix combo, uh, shield and Helix combo, uh, they didn't give me as much trouble as I was aware that they were probably giving other players. Because, yeah, they hit really hard, and I was, like, if I got hit twice, I was done. Um, And the trick was to just not get hit. Yeah, I would say that if there's one strategy, it's do a good job and like simply simply do not get hit because because <laughs> otherwise it's going to be bad. It's they're real tricky. Uh I I think the central Yarnum comparison is really apt because yeah, they're they're wandering around. There there are little patrols, there are little groups and then um maybe not here on the outskirts. Um, but certainly later on, there are also guys with trumpets who will summon everyone in earshot to oh, kind yeah. of converge on you. And uh, yeah, you, you, I think most people are going to be spending a good amount of the time sneaking or running because mm-hmm. uh, trying to clear this area is a real challenge. Um, and I will say, because I I am running through Elden Ring again with a uh, different character and a slightly different build, uh, I decided to not deal with the uh, internals or the city streets uh, my second run, and uh, really just jumped off of the rampart onto the rooftops uh, uh uh, as soon as I got uh, into the city proper and then just navigated through the rooftops, uh, uh, across the rooftops to get to the central promenade, the main street um, this time, uh, because all you really have to deal with up there are imps. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a really great point is that, um, the city has a lot of verticality and it's very layered. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you can start off quite high up and then just jump from rooftop to rooftop and get really far uh, without ever having to touch the ground and without having to engage these guys. Um, yeah. It's it's all labyrinthine. And so it's difficult to to know where you're going blind. And it's mm-hmm. easy to get turned around or get caught in a dead end. But once you know where you're going, you can really uh, cover some distance pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Love it. Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, you mentioned like running past and getting to that main street. And when you do, um, one of my favorite things, like one one of my, I think, one of my favorite field bosses that you encounter because there's not really another field boss that you encounter in a legacy dungeon like this. You're walking down this main street and there's no enemies around and you're just kind of taking it in and plotting your route. And then all of a sudden 
hurtling like a meteor out of the sky, uh, an aired tree avatar rockets down and just impacts into the street. And now you're fighting a boss yes. uh, right in the middle of it. Yes. And this is a, this is a fully formed golden Erd tree sentinel. It is, um, uh, perfect. Unlike all the minor ones that you've encountered. Um, once again, it's just a stray demon with a fancy collar and no head, uh, but I love it. I love when they reuse assets and reuse uh, character skeletons, and I, I just remember seeing it the first time and seeing its attacks, and I'm like, oh, is that? Oh, you made it! You made it in two. It kind of was like the like <laughs> like like FromSoft characters getting smash invitations to be transmogrified into something else in in a new game. Because uh, I know you've got a note, note about the ulcerated tree spirit, and I'm just like, ah, man, they made the pus of man better, worse, <laughs> better? I don't they know. They made it more. Yes, they did, in fact, make it more, and they made more of them. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, the the tree sentinel is great. I love fight. I do actually love fighting them um, because uh, it's like fighting an old familiar friend that you know got into shape a little <laughs> a little more. It's like fighting. Uh, it's like fighting. Uh, getting into a fight with uh, Iron Fist Alexander. It's like ah oh, man, you you know <laughs> you did it. You you tried, but I'm still gonna beat you up. Yeah, it's I'm I'm similarly very fond of that. You know, I'm sure that there are some people out there who think that it's cheap or lazy to do that, but it it, it has a sense of recognition and familiarity where it feels like an old friend is showing up. Yep. Uh yeah, I, I like the air tree avatars quite a bit. Um one thing that distinguishes this fight from many of the other air tree avatar fights that you do, uh you don't got no horse here. Nope. It's cramped quarters, and you don't have your high mobility, which is not really a problem for a lot of their attacks. You know, they're big attacks, they hit hard, but if you're familiar with the stray demon or the asylum demon, you know, it's familiar. Um, But they have that attack where they stab their staff into the ground, and then the little motes of light start blasting you. Uh, that can be really tricky to avoid without a horse. Yeah, I would just uh, maneuver the combat area right around that um, turned over carriage and then mm-hmm. just use that as cover whenever they pop that because I was just like, I'm not rolling. I'm not rolling out of the way of this. I, I was I, I found myself being far more aggressive. Uh, in Elden Ring than I think I'd been in any FromSoft game, uh, minus, like, Sekiro and Bloodborne, because those are, like, the big main mechanics of, like, get in there. Yeah. But, like, as far of, like, a sword and board FromSoft game, I I really did find myself, like, actually just, like, I'm going to get as far into your hitbox as humanly possible, uh, because I actually feel safer there than I do, like, three feet away from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for something like the the Avatar, um, getting right in there and getting right under it can be mm-hmm. a winning strategy. 
Yeah. Um, anything else to say about this kind of main street? Um, oh, yeah. The one thing that I'll say about it is I apparently missed the um, um, lever to open the gate to that to a very special area that we've seen all game, but in a ruined state. Um that is at the far end of the main street because I only discovered it my second playthrough and I was like, wait, there's a there's actually a way to open this this gate. I I I had no idea. I I just didn't know. That's the only thing that I'll say is that I just there's just stuff that I missed the for my first time playing through and I'm like, how did I miss this stuff? How did I get a plat in this game and miss <laughs> miss so many things? Um, yeah, that's the only thing that I have to say. <laughs> yeah, again, it's difficult to to understate how huge this area is. Like, there there is just a lot here and a lot of density. Um, yeah. So you continue running around. Um, at some point, you end up in this large, desolate courtyard. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, it felt like it was filled with sand or ash i wasn't quite sure how to interpret it there's like some ruined toppled buildings in there and uh when you head in there you know uh i for one got the like my boss arena sense was tingling <laughs> and uh sure enough uh one of the ulcerated tree spirits erupts out um again continuing like this feeling that the air tree itself knows you're here and is consciously fighting against you um but the the ulcerated tree spirits uh as you mentioned you know uh very clearly related to the pus of man um and share like a similar corruption vibe so like even at the base of the air tree like that corruption is present yeah you know the 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 whole thing uh, as beautiful as it looks, like there is trouble in paradise, right? Uh, and and the game, uh, you know, depend, uh, uh, depending on what items you've acquired, and uh, mainly through talismans, it, the game is constantly telling you, like, man, there once was a time of plenty with the earth tree, and and now now its blessings are few and far between. And I'm like, that sounds like decline. Hey, anyone, decline? Anyone else getting? a decline vibe from this, the deific figure of your central religion in this tree based theocracy that you're <laughs> all super, super into anyone getting that. No, it's a, Oh, it's a, it's the air tree works in mysterious ways. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. I got you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is a relevant item description that I I'm trying to, find that says something very similar where like the light of the air tree like shone brilliantly but only for a short while yeah and it's like hey what this thing is perfect right right perfect well the thing is that like but the thing is like the time scale of this world is is difficult to fully comprehend like, yeah. it could be, like, that very short time that is referenced could be centuries of, yes. like, prosperity of them successfully y- utilizing 
and harnessing the power of the air tree. But like a big part of this game is just peeling back those centuries and realizing just how deep it goes and just how new the the golden order and everything that surrounds it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always just I once again this is this is all FromSoft's doing. I'm just like any deific figure in a piece of media. I'm just like is there a rock? Can you make a rock that you can't lift? Because if you can't, <laughs> then I'm going to call into question just how deific you actually are. And surprise, a lot of characters and a lot of deific figures in FromSoft games are really bad at making rocks that they can't lift. Well, I think, you know, talking about like these how all of the FromSoft games kind of rhyme, you know, that was something that really struck me in Bloodborne specifically, because in the previous games, you know, we were killing gods and doing all that stuff, but it felt uh, a part of the dark fantasy genre. In Bloodborne, you're hunting eldritch gods. And I'm like, oh, in a lot of interpretations of this media, these things would not be able to be killed. But they here in this world like they are still flesh and blood mm. everything i don't know it, it is much more tangible and prone to being sick and dying and can be killed in a way that like i don't often associate with like these larger than life deific figures in in fiction yeah uh, I'm a big Lovecraft mark, and I agree with, yes, in typical Lovecraft media, uh, killing uh, an elder god would not be a thing and is not a thing. Um, and I kind of like the way that they handle that in Bloodborne, which is like, yeah, the killing them, the, like the face-to-face killing of these things, that's not the problem. The trick is figuring out how to get to them because they've extracted themselves out of the physical, tangible world. And you need to, you basically need to go to the dreamlands and put a bullet between their eyes. Yeah. Like, did you kill them or did you just kill an astral projection? <laughs> but, right. uh but yeah, uh, I mean, that continues in, in Bloodborne, uh, or not Bloodborne, in Elden Ring, as all of these incredibly powerful things uh, ultimately are mortal and yes. can be slain, including the Erd Tree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess we should uh, um, talk about the upper city. Uh, it, I, we're, we're going back, but we, you know, we made our way down to the, the street level, but there's still like a, a fair amount of interesting things to be uh, found in the, the upper city region, which is right by um, uh, a very familiar building. Yes. Uh, which familiar building are you referring to? Uh, the... oh, oh, I know the familiar building you're referring yeah. to. Yes. Um, so as you're going around, uh, at some point you'll navigate to, uh, kind of, the, I'm referring to it as the upper city. Uh, this place is so huge. It's difficult to, to verbally describe exactly where everything is in relationship to each other. 
but you are heading up uh, kind of towards the petrified dragon. And there's a part of it that you can drop off down towards and you enter a building from a uh, maybe an entrance that you don't recognize. And so it takes a few moments before it clicks, but it is a very familiar building because the building that you enter is round table hold. You found the physical quote unquote real version of it, you know, again, very much like finding the hunter's dream in bloodborne. Yes. Um, and as to be expected, this is an abandoned version of it. Uh, the, the round table hold that you visit is not the same. It is, uh, a projection or a another version of it that seems to exist possibly outside of space and time <laughs> uh, you know uh, but the physical version that you find is full of all kinds of interesting goodies and neat stuff and like that creeping sense of familiarity uh, struck me pretty soon but then a real moment of delight and confirmation was finding the place where uh, Hugh the blacksmith is normally at. And you find uh, a couple of items. Uh, you find his hammer and you find the sanctified wet blade. So yes. uh, just like really reinforcing that. Yep. This is where you think it is. This is what it is. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Uh, yeah, I I wasn't expecting them to do it again after Bloodborne, uh, but I, I I was glad that they did. Um, yeah, it's it's real wild that that they and because I always found myself I'm just like well okay cool what purpose did the real version of this building serve? Because you you go into the room the main room where the two fingers are in the astral <laughs> round table hold, and there's just the throne, and I'm like, uh, is this where, where uh, Godfrey? Is Godfrey the Queen America's actual first husband? Yeah, Godfrey the first Elden Lord. Yeah. I'm like, is this, like, was this his place? <laughs> was this his his realm of control because you get you've got a lord throne just like uh, we'll find later on in in the area and I'm just like what was this building before because you you know you know what the hunter's workshop is even when you find the abandoned version like the, the, there isn't a difference here but there's no it, it's the the round table hold that Gideon Ofnir seemingly commands is clearly does not serve the same purpose as, as the original. And I, I find myself wondering what did, what purpose did this building serve at the beginning? Yeah. It raises a lot of questions. Um, and it clearly due to something that happens later in the game, it clearly does have a connection to the air tree. Like the the version that you have been traveling to this whole time is not wholly separate, right? Um, while also being very clearly not this physical location. Um, I guess I had always assumed that the throne did belong to to Sir Gideon Ofnir, mm -hmm. just because 
for Bloodborne reasons, you know, where it's just like, oh, Garman is kind of the the main figurehead at the workshop, so he probably was the person who ran the physical workshop. But that raises all kinds of questions about, you know, if Gideon is tarnished, then he was banished from the lands between for so long. You know, has he been alive this whole time? Is this, was he serving under Godfrey, you know, centuries ago? Was, and, and then also, you know, who created the the dream version of Roundtable Hold that we find now? You right. know, where where what is the source of that is? So there's a lot of interesting questions that I don't have answers to. And yep. uh, it's entirely possible that there are lore theories out there that address it that I'm simply not aware of. I'm content to let it be a weird mystery. Like, it feels really cool and evocative. And consistently when From does this, this is like one of my favorite tricks that they do. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Like I said, I like I like pulling threads, even though I, the threads only mean thing only means something to me, and I, I I I also don't advertise them as being canon or true. Just always the stuff that I like like thinking about. That's the the evocative stuff that I I don't get answers to, and I'm like, well, how can I tack this together? Just you know, as a fun thought experiment of like intent, like creator's vision and intent. Yeah. And even if I never come to a concrete conclusion, um, just the ability of the game to get me to, like, stop what I'm doing, stand up and, like, start pacing in the room and be like, okay, what does this mean? Okay, there are there are implications here. <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite things. And, and we're going to get to the most dramatic example of that in the game for me uh, later in this episode, which I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, um, and so there's a there's some uh, side questy things that are associated with uh, the real roundtable. If you're doing uh, the uh, assassination quest line in uh, at uh, Volcano Manor, you can uh, what is it? Is it there's a cool you get to do a it's late into the assassination quest line, but you get to do yes. a cool two v two fight. Where you're teaming up with the guy in ram armor, who's a uh, Berna. Yes. And you fight against Vargum, the Raging Wolf, and Errant Sorcerer Wilhelm. Yes. And you should do this because the Raging Wolf set looks so cool. It's one of my favorite sets of armor in the game. Yep. And was, I believe, like a beta cla- uh, class for the uh, network te- test. Um <laughs> That, of course, didn't end up being a class in the main game. But yeah, the Raging Wolf set was a, a, a network uh, uh, test class. Uh, and I know uh, from, from Clamor online that uh, numerous people were disappointed that it wasn't an actual class. Yeah, it's, it's one of the iconic armor sets from this game, you know, similar to like the fluted knight or yes, uh, the Faram armor. Like, yes. uh, it, it's very distinctive looking. If I see this armor, like I'm not going to confuse this with anything else. 
Yeah, it was used in a lot of advertising, which I think is funny because it wasn't the main cover armor, which is also a big change from from software because they typically like to use the uh, uh, the the advertising armor is the main uh, like main art piece art box uh, armor that you see in the game, and no, it's not the Raging Wolf set. It is uh, it is. Vike, uh, a character that we've talked about um, sparingly, but who's like really important because he got closer to becoming Elden Lord uh, than anyone else until he had uh, some troubles and and went mad. And I think I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> yep. And he looks cool, but not as cool as the right. like. This, this is my choice for 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 box art armor. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, that's real cool to find. Um, there's a room where the dung eater is normally hanging out in round table hold. Mm-hmm. And there you can find a body that is chained to a chair that has been defiled with the seed bed curse. Yes. Which you can, uh, present to him to continue dung eaters quest. Yes. If you're into that kind of thing. I was into that kind of thing my first run, and then my second run, uh, I was into, hey, uh, skeezy, weird, uh, carrion, rammy, snarky sorcerer man, Uh, I want this dung eater puppet. I I gave your weird (laughs) potion to the dung eater, and now I want to buy him, because I think that'll be cool. Mainly because I'm doing like a a Virgil from Devil May Cry themed second run character, uh, sure. and I thought, hey, you know what, Dungy, your kind of looks like a demon. I'm just gonna have him as my summon for fights where <laughs> where I don't look nearly as scummy <laughs> using Moonveil everywhere and just let him scream at things and hit things with his uh, spine sword. Hell yeah. Spine sword. Uh, yeah. Um, one of the other rooms, uh, kind of a notable item that I just think is cool, uh, is called the coded sword. Yes. That you can find. You can find um, kind of a lesser version, like a fist weapon version of this. Yeah. In the, um, uh, in the dream round table hold that you normally go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is kind of like it's just an empty hilt that when activated uh, will conjure a blade that is not physical and therefore is supposed to be like specifically useful for going through shields. Yes. Like it just does holy damage. Yeah, it's literally the the, the blade is is our, our runes that uh, they're it's it's words which you know seems kind of appropriate for uh uh Gideon Ofnir. uh but it, it, there's yeah such weird weapons they have a really high faith requirement and i i never invested yeah. into faith so i i never actually used either of them which was actually disappointing because i was like oh man these things are cool i'm not investing in faith to use them though so they could just kind of set my inventory yeah, it's a divine lightsaber. Yeah. Um, it's very cool. Uh, I thought the the item description was neat as well, so I'm just going to read it. 
Hidden sword once granted to the tarnished of the round table by the two fingers, the formless cipher comprises its blade, which deals holy damage no shield can repel. Champions would gather at the round table hold in days long past, when the two fingers were masters of oration, their flesh yet full of vigor. Oh, right. I mean, that's just very evocative to me, especially considering the sorry state that the two fingers are in when we find them. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I, I keep forgetting that once upon a time, they didn't look like two awful, like, 7-Eleven hot dogs waving <laughs> at you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, they've been left out in the sun a little bit too long. Yeah, so uh, I think that covers the um, the round table hold that we found. Yeah, because uh, well, uh, I think, and then we can progress from there by uh, then noting that hey, surprise! In that that uh, that um, what main room, main hall, uh, the one that we enter into, that we have our little uh, summon fight into, uh, one of the doors that you couldn't open in the dream round table uh, does open. And, uh, hey, they're abductor virgins. Um, The thing that I find most interesting about that door is that there's a lever on the other side, which indicates to me that there is somehow a way to get into this elevator, this big lift, which is where we ultimately end up, uh, courtyard from a different side, from like the opposite side. I've (laughs) never managed to do it, but every single time I go through that door, like pull that door open and see it, I'm just like, how, I like that just means that you you can get here. I just don't know how. but yeah, no, we it leads into a little court side courtyard uh, with two abductor virgins because of course why not, um, and then a yep. big old lift. Yeah, uh, as usual, you shouldn't fight the abductor virgins because they're a pain. Yep, uh, they don't actually take you anywhere if they if they catch you, right? No, 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 no. They just okay. yeah, they just chomp you. Um. But yeah, if you you find this giant lift, and it's it's really big, it's like um, comparable to like the the river well elevators, and when you take it, it takes you all the way up to something that might be familiar if you indeed did open a treasure chest in a random tower thirty hours ago, <laughs> uh, yep. because you get teleported to uh, the top of this tower, but. If you get teleported from that that trap chest, this elevator that you just rode up doesn't work. And so all you get is like this sneak peek, seeing this incredible vista of the city and the petrified dragon draping over things. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, for me, I did, in fact, open that treasure chest. And that was one of those amazing moments where I'm just like, oh, my God, like what a preview of a place that I'm going to go later. And then you look at your map and you're like, Oh my God, how did I get right this far? I'm literally I'm way over my head as far, almost as no, actually I am literally as far away from the earth tree as I can be before I got teleported here. 
Uh, and now I'm just right here and there's no way for me to get down. Yeah. Um, pretty remarkable moment. I love those teleporter chests. Um, but going up here, there's a, uh, a halberd golem, which is very tough if you get teleported there and you decide to fight him. But uh, at this level, is pretty manageable. Uh, there's a treasure chest which has a the Blessed Dew Talisman, which grants you passive HP regeneration, which yep. for the early game is something that I'm always very fond of. Uh, you know, it's nice to have that little security blanket, even if it ultimately doesn't do that much. And then uh, there's a sending gate, which I believe at this point is deactivated. But eventually, uh, this is how you're going to get to the isolated divine tower, which is like right smack in the middle of the ocean. Yes. So if you're you're looking at that and you're just wondering how the heck do I get there, uh, that's how. Yep, just one of the one of the teleporter panels that that are littered throughout this entire realm. <laughs> Helter Skelter, mm-hmm. no signage, no posting. <laughs> just hey, you wanna you wanna roll the dice? Of course you do. So Yeah, shockingly poorly labeled. Yeah. Which uh you know, get on it. Come on. I mean, you've you've had millennia to do so. Like would a <laughs> sign kill you? I mean, yeah, they mark the map, but they don't ever say what. Actually, I do think now when you hover over, over, over things, it does say what what the thing is when it gets marked on the map. Because I distinctly remember that it didn't do that uh, when I ran through the game originally, because I was uh, actively refusing to uh, install updates uh, my first time running through Elton Ring. It was <laughs> constantly screaming at me to update and telling me, wagging its finger and saying, you won't be able to play online, to which I responded, haha, joke's on you. I never play online, so I'm not missing anything. Um, so yeah, I think, I think uh, now... Uh, uh, red mark points are labeled, but before it was just figure it out, dummy, and 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 I did. I have very distinct memories of making my way to the divine to the isolated divine tower, being like, "That is so cool! I can't believe that! Like, this is how you get here. This is really mysterious. I, mm-hmm. I can't wait to come back and figure out how to open this divine tower." And then, you know, getting a few more great runes and being like, I'm going to try to open that divine tower. And then just being like, how the hell do I get to the <laughs> to that tower? Right. I have no memory no. of which teleporter <laughs> brought me there. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. I guess we should talk about some statues now. Yeah, so, well, actually, we should probably oh, talk yeah. about I, how, I, we, how we get to the statue first. Yeah, because so, yeah. there's a big um, old cathedral wrapped around the roots of uh, the Erd Tree uh, as we ascend higher and higher um, to our obvious destination. <laughs> yeah, uh, as a minor note, this is uh, close to where you can run up the petrified dragon. You can actually scale it. And yes. get to like some cool stuff up at the top. I 
don't remember if there's anything super significant up there, but it is just extremely cool to be running up it, especially because there's some great knights who are, you know, shooting you with those great arrows and you're dodging them while you're trying to climb a petrified dragon. Yeah. Pretty great. I tried uh, on my second run, I tried just running past them, um, but they were really too good at sniping me as I was climbing it. So I just ended up uh, making myself invisible and running past them. Nice. Yeah, that's a good strategy. Um, but yeah, so, uh, the roots wrap up and around and you're climbing these, you know, uh, absolutely huge roots that are littered with those little air tree guardian guys, those branchy root guys, um, which I assume are just there just because they like hanging out on the air tree. But other than that, I'm not really sure. Yeah. I mean, here. You you see them around like the minor earth trees. It's almost like they're gardeners that have like a weird symbiotic relationship with them, uh, like tenders. Yeah. Like they tend to the earth trees, so it makes sense that there would be some here. Um, I do actually really like that they do have a, a, a progression to them because I believe the first time you encounter them, um, they just kind of they're just like weird guys in weird golden masks that that have twin spears and are super um, aggressive. And then the next time, a little, little later on, you're like, Oh, that's a tree growing out of their back. And then even further on, it's like a tree that has also blossomed. And now they can shoulder check you and hit you with like poison spores now. And I'm just like, I, I do like, I think, I don't think it happens nearly enough with, with um, the enemies because we get, we get iterations like that for, for these guys, we get them with the omens, which is probably like the biggest one. And we get like minor ones with the different factions of just generic soldiers, as you, as you mentioned before, but I like that there's just stages that they throw in stages and there's no commentary on them. It's not, it's Mm -hmm. not a different form of this enemy worth mentioning it's just hey just you know if you're paying attention there's stuff happening with these enemy types the closer and closer to the ur tree they get yeah there's like a progression between Mm -hmm. the the different variations of them which is really cool uh they've got big herald from fallout energy yes which i appreciate yes uh they've also got like kind of that like hunched figure and those long snaky necks which reminds me a little bit of those bowling pin guys from the the beginning where like they also have like that long serpentine neck Mm. i don't think there's a connection there but just like a little bit of rhyming between visual designs well because uh once again the commoners like the i was uh when when i first started the game and was encountering the commoners like the commoner model type i'm like Man, what is up with like these elongated necks and these like super tall figures and yeah and like almost arms. Thumerian, yeah, uh, in proportion. A Thumerian, and then even later, even though we've encountered one before, at least to this point in in a jail. Um, what is it like the Zathar? from the uh, from the mountaintops? The 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 ice. Um, 
Warriors. Mm, drawing a blank on. Let me, let me let me look up. You're not talking about the um, the meteorite guys. No, there's yeah, there are like there's this enemy type that you can encounter um, that only shows up like later in the game that you can encounter much earlier in in one of the uh, Everjails. Um, that is just like a very tall. Oh yes, yes. Uh huh. Yeah, those those frost guys who I think are like a remnant of an older civilization. Yeah, and I was just but, like, what's. Uh... Oh, yeah, go on. No, but just, like, similar... Yeah, they do have, like, a similar, like, very lanky, like, tall, uh, unnatural proportions where it is a little bit difficult to tell, like, is this just a person being rendered in a distinct art style or is this supposed to be an indication that this is something, like, more alien, something less human? Yeah. Um... But yeah, um, we get to Cathedral, and oh, hey, here's a, we got a surprise, surprise, boss, it's a boss, and who's the boss? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was a surprise for me. I wasn't expecting to fight Godfrey, the first Elden Lord, or yes. at least a spectral version of him. Yes. Uh, it seems to be uh, like a vision of him in his prime because he's dressed in his full regalia and he has um, his double-sided axe, which is intact rather than uh, broken. Like we see it later. Yes. Uh, And yeah, he is, he is an easy fight. I see it in the notes, pretty easy fight. And that was my thought. I was like, yeah, that was actually a pretty easy fight. I think I got him in one and I was just like, Oh, that was underwhelming, but thanks for the talisman pouch because I needed another one. <laughs> yeah, he drops the uh, what might be your the final fourth uh, uh, ring slot item for you, yes, which is a, a pretty fabulous reward. But yeah, I'm I'm not one of those people who feels like uh, an easy boss is a bad boss. No. Um, you know, I. I uh, find myself frustrated with that take, especially if it's just like, I don't know, this is just trying to do something like interesting or novel. Um, I don't think that this is trying to do that other than just like planting this association in your head. And I think, I think the purpose of this fight is to like, just kind of evoke something. Yeah. Um, rather than to really say anything more concrete. Because as far as I know, we don't get any explanation of, like, why this illusion version of uh, of Godfrey is here. Although, you know, if, if I wanted to look into it uh, a little deeper, because I, I, honestly, ha- I honestly never have, um, it is entirely possible that this could be, like a version of what Ronnie did with the Renala fight um, where, uh, you know, you, you, you beat her, you do beat mm. her uh, initially. And then she summons a version of, a 
of her in her prime. And it is entirely possible that the uh, Lord of Lindell may in fact be doing something similar, but just without the um, level of competence that Rani can. I, I didn't draw that connection, but yeah, there is definitely a similarity between those two fights. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting observation. Uh, but yeah, uh, Godfrey, he has a double-sided axe. He does some big stomps. Um, this version, if you've got some spirit ashes to help distract him and draw aggro, again, isn't too bad. Not a ton of health. Uh, pretty manageable. Yep. But uh, the cathedral that you're in is really interesting. Um Again, you come up these roots of the air tree. They're kind of weaving in and out of the buildings all around. This place is pretty overgrown. And if you do a complicated series of jumps, you'll get to this upper floor and find in this, like, uh, I don't know, like a bassinet or something that's kind of suspended up above. Yeah. Um, You find a spell book, uh, a very significant spell book, the Golden Order Principia. Principa? Principa. Couldn't pronounce that. Um, <laughs> but this seems to be uh, the the item description for it is Prayer Book of the Golden Order Fundamentalists, a dense and complex academic treatise that contains the order's fundamental principles, can be given to a learned cleric to gain access to the following incantations, Radigan's Rings of Light and the Law of Regression. So, uh, let's loop back. Let's talk about statues. So, reading that item description, it becomes clear that this is either written by or owned by Radigan. uh, Yes. Who, I'm sure, has come up in the podcast before, but, like, is starting to come to the forefront as a major player in, in this world. Yeah. And the law of regression is really significant as a spell. So, flashing back uh, to Liernia, when you visit the Turtle Pope, uh, Muriel, the pastor of vows, he has a evocative bit of dialogue, which is, you know, it's said that Lord Radigan harbored a secret. A famed sculptor of the Airdtree capital was once summoned to render Lord Radigan's likeness in giant statue when he glimpsed the skeleton in Radigan's closet. And as such, it's said that the great statue harbors his secret too. And for me, from that moment on, I was keeping an eye out for statues and trying to to follow this breadcrumb trail because that sounded really juicy to me. So, uh, earlier, as you're wandering the streets, there is in fact a large impressive statue of Lord Radigan Uh, In front of the statue is a developer message that simply says, regression alone reveals secrets. So playing through that, I put two and two together and I'm like, okay, this is the statue in question. So when I found the law of regression spell, I got very excited. Had a high stat requirement. I had to go and respec in order to be able to cast it. Um, But... Reading the item description of the spell, the Law of Regression, it is, 
Incantation of the Golden Order Fundamentalists. One of the key fundamentals heals all negative statuses, dispels special effects, and reveals mimicry in all its forms. The fundamentalists describe the Golden Order through the power of regression and causality. Regression is the pull of meaning that all things yearn eternally to converge. So there's a lot to unpack there, but the point is that the law of regression dispels magic. It reveals mimicry. It it dispels illusions. So by taking that spell and casting it in front of the statue, you do this goofy little arm thing to uh, cast it, and the statue of Radigan and... Uh, we, no, we've got to be past the spoiler wall, of course. <laughs> uh, the statue of Redigan turns into a statue of Merica. The developer message in front of the statue then changes simply to say, Radigan is Merica. Yep. And this was, was such a great moment for me <laughs> when I played it. I was getting up. I was like wildly theory crafting pacing in front of the room i play these games with my wife and we're both invested in the story and we both love to uncover uh the archaeology of these worlds together and so we're just like spitballing theories and like trying to figure it out and eventually this led me to re-watching the opening cutscene and the opening trailer Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, you motherfuckers, oh, you yeah. put it right in front of us this whole time. <laughs> Every, uh, yeah, watching, yeah, watching any of the lead up trailers, watching the opening cutscene, it, it's really kind of amazing of, of an amazing trick of, oh, yeah, you know, you can just tell us everything. And without context, it utterly means nothing until we decide to possibly review it 50 hours later and realize that you, you, you gave up the game to us initially. Like what an amazing magic trick. This is the first scene in the reveal trailer. Yep. And they tell you like the biggest twist in the game. Yep. Like amazing. That's incredibly brave from like a storytelling perspective. Like, what a huge gamble <laughs> for for whoever was in charge of that to to go out on a limb and just say like nope we're going to do this and trust oh. that like the mystery will stay in place oh and one other little oddity about the law of regression is while it is an incantation it is requires intelligence and intelligence alone it is not yes. faith-based whatsoever. Yes. Uh, and Radigan is, you know, this divine holy figure, but also is associated with intelligence and uh, magic in a way that most of the other people are not. Um, yes. Radigan, Radigan is interesting in how he kind of fits into, like, the magic of the world and... Uh, because Merica, uh, there are many miracles that uh, invoke or seem to be in the name of Merica, and those ones do require faith. And so it really is this duality um, 
that is pretty fascinating. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Once again, it's a it's a wild twist, and it makes sense um, given uh, Radagon's history with Renala and what he brought to the table during their marriage. Um, it's yeah, it's a it's a wild twist in a game full of, and you know, not even the most wild twist that we're going to cover <laughs> in in this yeah. episode. To be perfectly honest. Um, to go back to but the, between oh, go on. between uh, uh, America marrying Radigan and the Loki show, like it has been a banner year for self-cest, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> go ahead and marry yourself. It's fine. Um, going back to the cathedral, um, there are uh, some interesting. There's some interesting de- debris. Uh, 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 around in the central cathedral area, mainly uh, a ton of dead finger readers. <laughs> like a lot of them. There's like 20 or 30 dead finger readers just kind of scattered around. Yep. And I'm just like, wait, so what, like, once again, because I'm always, I'm all, because. FromSoft is so iterative with with their design philosophy philosophy and and their uh, like thematic stuff. I'm just like, are these finger readers like kind of like the equivalent of the pilgrims from Dark Souls <laughs> three, like where they just sent out into the land to tell people what the two fingers thought about everything, and when they had no fingers to read. They just dried up here or the ones that were out in the world then demanded to read people's hands. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is this is just a bit of speculation. Um, I genuinely don't know, and I feel like the answer is out there. Is there a connection between finger reader maidens and maidens, as in, like, you are maidenless? Like, each tarnished is supposed to have a maiden. Right. Are I, they related to the finger reader crowns? I don't know. Like, uh, it's see, and that's once again that falls into like there's a lot of weirdness with identity and using the same words to mean different things. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if fing- like maybe maybe finger reader maidens are. are do end up becoming like these the crones that divine the will of the two figures. I mean, we meet a uh, a character in a side quest that is uh, striving to become a finger maiden, and she is involved with some fingers, but you know, I don't know whether or not i I couldn't even begin to speculate. I, I I can only assume, yeah. I don't know, cause cause a lot of what like a lot of the system that they have set up in Elden Ring, um, as far as like you you need a maiden, you need this, you need that. It all feels like weird artifice that ends up being a bullshit lie at the end of the day. Yeah, they, they ultimately it's a lot of systems of control yes and trying to make sure that ultimately you're doing what the greater will wants you to be doing right 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'd be willing to bet that there probably is a connection between uh, the finger readers and finger maidens and less so between finger maidens and just the maiden that you take on you with your to your pilgrimage to becoming Elden Lord. Gotcha. I will speculate no more on that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as you were saying, like there are dozens of corpses of these finger reader crones. And as you are approaching what, uh, what turns out to be the queen's bedchamber, uh, kind of sitting right outside, you know, almost like they're taking a break after killing 30 or 40 <laughs> finger, uh, maiden crones is a black knife assassin. Yep. Which, uh, I mean, literally outside the door of the queen's bedchamber at the yes. roof of the air tree. Yeah, and hey, there's already we've I believe we've already established a connection between uh, between America and the Black Knife Assassins. It's not. Um, it's only yeah. I only found it mildly surprising that there was one hanging out here. Um, you know, probably waiting for the Queen to come back so they could talk about stuff. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, once again, there are item descriptions indicating that a that the they were all 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 the the black knife assassins were women and were familiar to Queen America herself, um, which is really weird, considering yeah, considering what role they played in that and what role America played, and it's yeah it's there's a I haven't bothered to kind of um, order the events of Elden Ring uh, through my two playthroughs because it's so expansive and exhausting and I just don't really have that kind of time anymore. But I'm always like fascinated with the aspect of, yeah, she knew who they were. She knew that they were assassins. Did she know that they were going to assassinate her son? I... Uh, yeah, it's weird. But you beat up this you beat up this black knife assassin because you've beaten up five others already. Uh and then you enter into the most uncomfortable looking bedchamber I've ever seen. Cause it's full of stone tablets and a big rock <laughs> bed. And I'm just like, man, how lavish. I'm sure she it's, was super happy here. It's real open to, like, I wouldn't be comfortable doing anything there. People would just always be, like, looking over your shoulder. They can just wander right in. Yeah. Like, yeah, she doesn't even have, like, the Gwendolyn, like, separation of, like, higher elevation unless we're, like, talking about her rock couch. Uh, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, two doors in and, yeah, bunch of stone tablets bunch of rock bed some nice drapery some uh real real nice uh get gets gets a lot of sun but yeah not not comfy looking whatsoever yeah um i like that you evoked gwendolyn guinevere there right we go there. thank you uh because it did make me think like oh uh america is going to be gigantic similar yeah. to guinevere uh, that turns out to not be the case. So why is your bed so big, Merica? Get a, get something cozier. Get a love seat in there. Like I don't know. 
I relax. Will, there's almost a part of me that's like maybe at one point she actually was bigger <laughs> before the troubles. <laughs> eh, it's possible. Scale scale is a little bit iffy in from games where often it feels like the scale of a character is is relative to their importance rather than like their height. Yes. But uh yeah, this the scale of this chamber is huge. Um you mentioned like these stone tablets that are just like stacked almost to the ceiling in these enormous piles, which is a really evocative image. Do you have any idea of of what those tablets are or what they're for? I I don't. I I feel like it almost feels like government paperwork, like things that yeah. she, like missives that she was handing out uh, to keep the whole system running before, um, once again, before the troubles hit. And that's what that feels like. That that was kind of what she spent all of her time doing as the god, because ultimately she is just a mouthpiece and a figurehead for the greater will, like something for the masses to latch onto because the concept of the greater will is, is, uh, is, I would assume is too big for, for anyone other than her. Yeah. Um, er earlier on in the game, she is explicitly referred to as like a vessel for the greater will. And, uh, yeah, but the idea of this, like, genuine god being, like, bogged down by bureaucracy is, uh, is on brand for this world. Right. Um, well, it's also that, on brand for FromSoft in general. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, that was kind of the closest that I had come to a theory of, like, these are, like, stone tablets that she, like, engraves decrees upon. Mm-hmm. But I don't have any, um, any supporting evidence for that. That's just yeah. kind of what felt right in the moment. Um, but regardless, we are finally right at the base of the air tree. Uh, a final bridge leads from the queen's bedchambers to this little, uh, what would you call it? Like this courtyard that's yeah. right outside of the, the throne room itself. And here we reach uh, the boss of the level and the current steward of the throne, uh, Morgoth, the Oban King. Surprise! It was Margit all along. It was it was Margit. <laughs> surprise! He's actually the Lord of Lindell. He's 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 part of the Golden Lineage. He's 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 a really big deal. Surprise! Surprise! Everyone. Which it was like, a surprise. <laughs> He was he was kind of slumming it down in Stormvale in a way, like yeah, because he is like a really important figure to uh, the the current power structure. Yeah. Um. So more, uh, yeah, Morgot slash Margit. Margit is uh, again because the game is obsessed with dual identities and all of these uh, layers of deception. Uh, Margit is like a pseudonym that he adopts so that he can jump into the fray away from the throne, but also keep like kind of a lower profile and not have it tied directly to, to his reign. Yes. And Um, so, um, outside of Lindell, kind of the approach, there's a random, 
like peasant that you might bump into who will actually turn into Margit. Yes. Uh, to to me, implying that like this, I interpret this as like similarly like an astral projection kind of thing, similar to like uh, in Bloodborne, because in the cutscene when you first meet Margit back in Stormvale, like he kind of teleports in. You know, he kind of like appears in like this golden light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so similarly, like he's fighting you outside uh, the capital, which feels like he is just like projecting his influence outside, uh, theoretically keeping all of these different plates spinning, trying to maintain whatever fragile power is here uh, at the heart of of the kingdom. Yeah. Um, so, so you mentioned I was actually going to bring up uh, his appearance at Stormvale. I think he literally can just, like, once again, just assume control and trag- transmogrify these um, these peasants into into uh, copies of himself. So, I I think I truly like to believe that the 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 Margit that you fought in Stormvale was just a peasant that happened to be up on that. Um, it's not a rampart. It's, just, it's something else that I can't remember uh, to face you because he's like, oh man, Atarn is just trying to, Atarn is just trying to get some uh, some lords, some runes. Gotta gotta put the kibosh on that. So you fight him, you 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 beat him, and he once again he curses you. He's like, you haven't heard the last. He's he literally says, you haven't heard the last of me. Then you meet him again outside of Lindell. And he says, you haven't seen the last of me. And then you actually get to see the last of him and and fight him at his full power. Yeah. And that kind of projection or like body hijacking is a trope that just works on me all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I put it into like every D&D game I run. (laughs) It's great. It's real fun. Um, So yeah. before you go into the boss arena, though, there is a really significant summon sign that you can click on. Um, your maiden, uh, Melina. Melina? Melania? Mel- Melina. Melina. Blech. There's too many M names in this game. Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Melina, your your maiden, not maiden, um, now that we're at the base of the air tree, her task seemingly almost complete. She comes herself to to join in the fight, uh, which is really cool. I really appreciate how active she is in this plot. Like she is an active agent um, in pretty stark contrast to, to your other, uh, you know, level up maiden in black figures in these games. Yes. Yeah, and and uh, hey, she's got a dagger that uh, is shockingly similar to another to some other daggers that you might have seen throughout the day throughout the game, uh, both in uh, abilities and uh, shape. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the weapon that she wields is called the Blade of Calling, which is a very distinct looking curved dagger and this is i think to me uh the real reason why they put the black knife assassin just a couple of rooms ago Mm -hmm. is 
because they want you to draw this connection because they look and behave very similarly. Um, yes. With with her version of it being uh, again kind of like this uncorrupted golden sunlight version as opposed to the destined death you know uh corrupted version that the black knife assassins wield uh but they are very similar and i think it definitely wants you to be asking questions about uh the connection yes. between those two agree um his fight is great i love it i actually liked all of the uh uh, Morgoth Margot fights. He's a he's a really good uh, boss character uh, in this new form. He's super aggressive. His staff is no longer a staff. It was in fact a surprise greatsword, curved greatsword. <laughs> because which is really, I love that that cutscene um, from Software. It just has like a great rhythm and pacing. He like holds his his staff out, uh, the staff which gave you a lot of trouble. 30 hours ago at the beginning of the game. And then he just crushes it and it like bursts like this, like kind of fire within revealing this um, like prismatic sword underneath. Like it almost looks like, uh, like an oil slick with like those shifting colors. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really unique and interesting looking as a weapon. Yeah. Uh, And of course he's talking shit the whole time. Right. Uh, he doesn't like he do, doesn't like any of his siblings or half siblings. Um, he thinks he's the he's the he's the one he's the lord of of Lindell, and it, you know he's got a really weird relationship with uh, the Golden Order and uh, and his place in it, which uh, is is seemingly no place because once again he's an omen, and the Golden Order. Don't do Omen, uh, uh, because I'm yeah. sure it reminds it way too much of the Crucible, which it just co-opted, and then decided, yeah, you know what, we don't like the feathers and, and scales and tails, we none of that. Only only human, only purely humanoid figures for, for this <laughs> theocracy, says the Golden Order. Yeah. Um, hey, Morgoth, uh, don't don't collaborate with people who want who don't want you to exist. Uh, yeah. It's not going to work out for you. Yeah. But um, yeah. So so this courtyard uh, that he's in that he introduces you to in this this introduction cutscene is full of all of these little thrones, and he kind of does a little roll call, going off all of the demigods who you've heard about. Uh, and then at the end of that, calls them willful traitors all. So, like, rightfully pointing out all of the layers of deceit and betrayal and abdication of duty uh, with just him left to try to kind of desperately hold things together here here at last. Um, Morgoth feels very much like he is the last bulwark against everything just collapsing. Yes, and it is worth noting that there is, in fact, one sibling that he has nothing bad to say about, and that is, is it Godwin? Is it, is it, is it Godwin? There's so many G's, too. Who's the, yeah. Godwin was the first to die on the Night of Black Knives. Yeah. 
he Godwin does not his throne is not present and he is doesn't get a tongue lashing. Yeah, that's uh that's very interesting. I don't think I noticed the obvious gap where a throne ought be, but uh now that you mention it that's totally totally true. So yeah, at the end of his intro cutscene, uh his last line is have it writ upon thy meager grave felled by King Morgoth, last of all kings. Which is really kind of his thing. He does not want anyone else to become Elden Lord. Uh, And he's going to fight you for it. And uh, yeah, you were talking about it. He is fast. He is aggressive. I had a tough time with him. uh, But it is a... It is a real cool fight. um, And real visually spectacular. Um, he immediately starts, as he's fighting you, uh, immediately starts fighting in an upgraded and expanded version of his Phase 2 fight from Stormvale, where he already has his golden hammer. Yep. He's throwing spectral daggers at you. He's creating a rain of golden daggers coming down. Um, it feels like he is dangerous at all distances. Yes. And... Yeah, he's he's a he moves like a like a Sekiro boss almost. Yeah, he is. Yeah, despite his size, and even though you 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 will have known this from um, the boss fight forty hours ago, uh, he is surprisingly fast, uh, agile, and and really loves to mix up the flow of his attacks. He he has so many holds. For so many attacks, uh, and then he has uh, just quick slashes once again with the daggers. You uh, uh, try to give yourself some distance, maybe want to try to heal. He'll throw a dagger straight in your face. Uh, he's got the big hammer of God. He gets a big spear that he'll either chuck at you or uh, run you, ram you down with. Uh, it's it's real. It's a real good fight, and that's just the first phase. <laughs> Yeah, he, uh, to me, this fight definitely feels like it's balanced around having help, whether that be spirit ashes or summons. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a fight that I definitely summoned for, and I do not feel bad about it. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, Yeah, I used the summon, and I used spirit ashes only because I missed uh, Melina uh, initially. And then uh, second uh, playthrough was uh, Spirit Ashes and Melina, and yeah, that was it. You know, it make it kind of makes the fight a cakewalk. Um, well, at least it made it for me kind of the cakewalk, just because I I remember my initial experience with it. But man, is it is it fun to have all these uh, characters? pulling aggro and dodging between these uh the sword rain and, and everything else during this fight. It's it's real it's a real nice visual treat. Yeah. When From puts a summon sign of a character like Melina outside of the boss arena, that to me says that they want you to be doing that, that that's the intended experience. Uh, you know, like people who are like, I didn't summon for Radon. I'm, I think that you're playing it wrong. Like mm-hmm. that's not, not wrong per se. If you want to do a challenge mode, that's fine. But that's not the intended experience. Right. Uh, I think that the intended experience is to summon Melina. Right. Yep. 
I agree. Yeah, so uh, you fight him, you wear him down to half health, uh, and then he enters into phase two. And I'm not entirely sure how to describe what happens. He, like, starts to vomit up this golden liquid, and then he erupts into, like, this fountain of it, and it sprays everywhere, and it kind of floods the whole arena, kind of ankle-high with this, like, strange liquid. Mm Mm-hmm. I... So we we learn from I believe it's from his his remembrance when he's finally defeated because of course yes we defeat him because otherwise the game wouldn't progress. Um, Spoiler, I know right. Uh, which is uh, even though the Erd Tree didn't love him, like had no love for him, uh, he loved it all the same, and it feels like it's 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 literally like his grace erupting out of him which is a thing that he technically shouldn't possess but he is of the golden lineage so it's almost like a jock's position of surprise he is actually probably the most like full of of grace's bounty entity that still exists in the um uh in the land between even though he should ultimately be shunned by the Erd Tree and Grace itself. That's a really cool theory, uh, that it's like uh, an overflow of Grace that's erupting out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't have a better theory, but <laughs> when he does the, the Phase 2 transition, he says, The thrones stained by my curse, such shame I cannot bear, thy part in this shall not be forgiven. Which, to me, was him like, oh, I barfed all over the thrones. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to make of that, but I, I just it's once weird again, and interesting. I just once again interpreted it as, it, as I am so ashamed that I am nothing but a filthy omen. Um, I mm-hmm. really wish that, that the Golden Order, the Earth Tree, Grace, loved me because I do love it. Um, and, and hence the reason why he's literally like, yeah, I won't, I won't even let anyone, I won't let anyone attempt to claim the throne of Elden Lord because no one can love it as much as I. Yeah. And as all stories and from games are tragedies, you know, the, the way that he, like this unrequited love that he has for for it like is is distinctly tragic yes but what's not tragic is his phase 2 where he uh uh covers his sword in like these golden black flames yes it's not black flame like the god killing flame it's like this golden black flame uh which is interesting um at this point, I think he gains the spectral spear, although you were saying that it might be in his first phase, so I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm pretty sure that he had it uh, during the first phase. Yeah, but regardless, like, he really starts mixing up his his curved sword with the fire, his spectral daggers, his spectral hammer, his spectral swords, and now the spectral spear, and he's weaving them 
all in and out of these different combos. Yep. And now the this liquid is on the ground, and when he does a big hit, like it kind of glows for a second, bubbles, and then erupts uh, into this big area of effect uh, burst. Yes. Uh, so there's just like a lot going on in this phase too. He, he also gets a a, uh, a command grab with his uh, sword uh, that um, uh, where he will impale you with it and then throw you across the arena. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah. But eventually, uh, eventually you take him out because that's what you have to do. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and upon his death, um, his, his uh, real body uh, is now on the ground, uh, and you can see it's emaciated and feeble. You know, it's almost skeletal. Uh, and you can approach and talk to it, similar to like Ludwig's head in in Bloodborne. Uh, and he, you know, basically just continues to talk shit. None may claim the title of Elden Lord. Thy deed shall be met with failure, just as I. Yes. Uh, and I and, but but yeah. Uh, the other thing that he says is the Erd Tree warns off all who deign to deign approach. We are all forsaken. Yeah. Um. And indeed, if you c- try to continue further, uh, this great doorway you find is blocked by the thorns of the Aird tree, like these thorny vines, as well as Radigan's seal. Yes. And uh, I, one thing that I think is really interesting about uh, Morgoth upon his defeat is uh, it, it, um, it's almost as if the curse of the omen was removed from him. Like upon his death, because because uh, they're once again omens aren't part of the cycle; they don't get uh, cycled back into the earth tree. And it's almost like you know the golden order saying like, "Oh, you know what? We technically speaking, we could have just like cured you at any point, but you were super loyal, and and also the player needs a remembrance from from you. So uh, here you are; you're a human now. Surprise! Right before you die. Uh-huh. You got tricked. Yeah, that was something that I wasn't sure if I was just like overlooking it or or what, but um his quote unquote like real body after you defeat him does not seem to be covered in horns and like those those knots yeah, in the same way. He doesn't have a tail. He has no he has there is there is zero sign a sign that he was in fact a omen at all once you defeat him. And it's, once again, it feels like this really cruel trick from the Golden Order, from, yeah, from the Golden Order, from, 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 you know, the actual god pulling the string, saying, okay, well, you're useless to us now, but you were, like, really good. It'd be a shame to throw you away, so we're gonna cycle you back in, but we need to, you know, maintain the status quo. So, surprise, you're a human now. We could have, this could have been you whenever we wanted, but we decided that you, an example needed to be made of you and everyone like you. 
Yeah, they don't they don't treat the omen very good. Nope. I, I mean, it's argu- you can, It's even arguable that because they have different rules for different class of omen, and it's arguably the way they treat royal omen are is significantly <laughs> worse than how they just treat regular omen. Yeah, if you're a royal omen, you can look forward to being raised in a sewer. Yep. So, um, you know, have fun with that. Yep. Um, uh, and, hey, surprise, unlike any other boss fight in FromSoft history, uh, once you discover that uh, you can't get into the Earth Tree, you can't teleport out of the area, the fog gate doesn't go away because... You have to sit at the side of Grace and have a conversation with your girl. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I was definitely like, oh no, is there going to be a back-to-back boss fight? (laughs) I didn't even notice any of that until after I tried to enter the Erdtree and I was like, wait, why can't I, why can't I, uh, why can't I leave? Why can't I teleport? I was like, oh, I'll just sit down then. It's one of the few times that FromSoft is like, no, really, please do what we would like you to do. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, it's a little bit heavier hand than I'm used to them using, but um, but it doesn't feel bad or anything. You know, it's just, it's it's interesting and worth worth noting. Yep. And that's where we get the, we get the sitch where she's like, hey, uh, you know, I abandoned you before, but technically I didn't abandon you because I just gave, I still gave you the ability to, you know, level up. But hey, I'd like to travel with you again because maybe we can solve the problem of making you Elden Lord because I'm really big into you becoming Elden Lord. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In many ways it feels like you are on her quest and not the other way around. Exactly. Yeah. But um, she gives you another medallion similar to the Dectus medallion um, so that we can travel even higher, uh, take another grand lift and travel north to the land of the giants. Uh, Because the only solution that she knows of is to burn the thorns away uh, with the fire of the giants. Yes. And Uh, which is like the the first and greatest blasphemy that can be committed in this world. Yeah. It almost makes me wonder if Morgoth the reason Morgoth was so resistant to anyone trying to claim the title of Elden Lord was because he realized that the only means of of gaining access to the Erd Tree was to, in fact, burn it. Yeah. And so that's uh, that's the next mission that has been given to you, to burn the Erd Tree. Yep, the greatest blasphemy. Even more blasphemous than the man who fed himself to a snake and became a weird, gross snake man. <laughs> you, you get to do the most blasphemous thing, <laughs> a blasphemy that he could have only dreamed of, and you have to do it in order to actually become Elden Lord. You get to be more blasphemous than the Lord of Blasphemy, and if that doesn't rule, I don't know what does. Agreed. So, uh, any closing thoughts on Lindell? 
Um, the the one note that didn't get woven in there somewhere is that Bok the Seamster is here. Yes. He wants to call you Lord. He's a sweet boy. I like Bok. Uh, and then he asked me to, to be reborn because he didn't like how he looked. He doesn't like being a demi-human. And I was like, hell yeah, my dude, I can accommodate you. Oh no! Uh, that was... <laughs> And and of course, I forgot what game I was playing because that only ends in tragedy. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. No, I uh, I uh, was fortunate enough to uh, have already uh, found the other item, the non-tragic item, uh, which was a uh, prattling pate shaped like a demi-human that says, "You're beautiful." And then he learns to accept himself and and lives. <laughs> like, that is so sweet for these kind of games. Like, it's also, like, very funny in, like, a... Oh, you just, I had to get the item that would tell you to believe in yourself. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very not from software, to be perfectly honest. It's, it's actually... Once again, it, you know, there are moments in, in games that... that sweet uh but always ultimately in in tragedy uh but mm -hmm. i like that they give this specific thing like yes the thing that he thinks will make him happy is actually tragic and horrible and leads to his demise and telling him to believe in himself is is in fact the true magic yeah the real friends were the the you know, giants that we made along the way or something. Yep. Uh, it's it's good. Um, I unfortunately never found the prattling pate that would tell him to believe in himself. Oh. Um, and, and also, um, to just just for context, uh, because it's probably not going to be brought up again, um, Bach uh, does not like being a demi-human he believes that he's ugly. He believes that he brings shame to you, but he wants to be by your side. He wants to be uh, in your court. And so his solution is to go to Queen Renala and be reborn. Yes. Um, and I, uh, as always, like the, the root of all tragedy in these games, I think, is like not having the full context, not having the full picture. And so I didn't realize that him getting what he wanted would be a death sentence. Right. Um, because Renala can only successfully reborn you if you possess a great rune, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, so unfortunately, uh, if you give him a larval tear like he asks for, and then you go to Renala's chamber... Uh, you'll find him there, and he is mute, and uh, uh, clearly something is wrong with him. And then the next time you rest, you find that he's died. Yes, but, but he uh, is that human. Very sad. But he is human. Yeah, he he does turn into a human. He's a naked human in his underwear, wearing a goofy hat. Because if he didn't have his iconic hat, you'd be like, "Who's that?" Right. Um, but. Uh, yeah, he does not survive the transformation. Uh, and that was a real bummer for me. <laughs> yeah, that's a, sh yeah, that's, that's a shame. And, and once again, you know, it, it, it's, it's a really obtuse solution <laughs> as well. 
because I think it's literal because it is the only prattling pate that is specific in in uh, saying uh, in its description that it is shaped like a demi human's mouth. Right, which is a wild thing to say because it's shaped like a potato. Yes. Like all of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. They're really ugly little things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then the uh, the one other note that didn't come up is that in Lindell, uh, there is a sewer system that leads down, down below the surface, uh, which is not the subject of today's episode. But uh, there's some neat stuff down there. Yep. <laughs> there's, a, there's stuff so neat that even you didn't know about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll get Here's into- what I do know. There's a lobster, and it's awful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're all, they're all awful, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> they're, like, the worst enemies. Like, they actually, as, as soon as I got to Lanernia and, and learned of their range attack, I was just like, I actually really, I, like, I don't say I hate enemies in FromSoft games a lot, but I do actually hate these stupid railgun lobsters. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, they're obstacles. They're not enemies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. A- and as far as I go, hey, Lindell's cool. It's neat. It's real pretty. Um, watching the day-night cycle hit this area is real good. You should do it. You shouldn't run through it all at once. You should experience it at different points during the day. Uh, uh, it's got a lot of cool bosses. It's got a lot of cool scenery. Uh, and it's real good as a fake out of the ultimate area because, hey, surprise, it's not. There's like 30 more hours of game after this. Surprise. Yeah. Um, Lindell, I think, ultimately is one of my favorite areas of the game, just between like how gorgeous it looks, like the density of it, how many interesting encounters there are um the statue uh again which like looms large is one of my favorite memories Mm -hmm. from this game uh lots and lots of highlights this is an incredibly dense area uh of highlights it is dense with with good memories for me yes i would agree and i think with that we are going to call it uh, <laughs> where can people find you on the internet, my good fellow? Yeah, uh, my name is Adam Bucheri. I am a uh, animator and game designer. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Adam Bucheri. And if you want to find my games, you can check out Boo Cherry, that's Boo Like Ghost, Cherry Like Fruit, uh, on Itch.io. You can find my weird tabletop games there. They're pretty good. Yes, and uh, as far as I go, uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Faust is Dead. Uh, it, once again, yeah, I'll probably be posting cook, food that I cook and pictures of my cat. And if you're interested in my professional account, you can follow at Umbra Knox Productions on, on Twitter. And if you are interested in my video essay work, you can look for 
Dr. Faust is Dead on YouTube. And uh, if you're interested in my woefully underdeveloped uh, professional channel, you can look for uh, Umbra Knox Productions on YouTube as well. And with that, we are going to call it here. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Monster Dear Monster, and we will see you later. Bye. Goodbye.